Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. All right, so we are joined here today by Angela Alexander. Very excited for this. This is going to be a good one. So before we get started with what we're going to talk about today, you've actually been on the podcast before. You and Natalie Phillips were on kind of breaking down Clubhouse, what it is, social audio in general, how it relates to how, you know, uh, audiologies professionals and hearing professionals can use it. So go back and listen to that one. If you haven't already, that's a great one. But tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. All right. So I am Angela Alexander. I'm originally from Kansas. I moved to New Zealand 10 years ago, and then I made the jump across the ditch um, in November to move from New Zealand to Australia. So yeah, just, I don't know a lot of people from Kansas who move internationally, um, but I'm just loving it. So yeah. Is that that what they say? Move, uh, Move across the ditch? Yeah. Move across the ditch. I mean, it's funny because like in the U.S., we talk about across the pond being mm-hmm. across okay, the pond right? Okay, yeah. Yeah. But we jump across the ditch, um, even it. though the distance from New Zealand to Australia is like the distance from Kansas to California, like pretty massive. But some people will travel to New Zealand and think they can drive across a bridge to <laughs> Australia. Um, yeah, there's a lot of confusion there. <laughs> Um, well, that's, I think a a very interesting place to start. So you've had, uh, this, you're just such an interesting person. So you start out in Kansas. Did you, where did you get your AUD? Um, I got my AUD from the university of Kansas, rock chalk Jayhawk. Um, I got my, I got my bachelor's there, my master's there and my AUD there. And then I tried to go back for my speech language (laughs) masters as well, because I obviously could not get enough. You couldn't get Uh, enough Lawrence, Kansas. Right? I love Lawrence. (laughs) I love Lawrence. That is the best part of Kansas, in my opinion. Absolutely. Okay. So you, you went to the University of Kansas and you got your AUD there. So then how did you get out to New Zealand? And then how did you eventually make your way to Australia? Yeah. So I, I had a client who needed a cochlear implant. Um, and he said, my daughter lives in New Zealand. She's going to be here on Christmas Eve. Do you mind meeting with us and talking about the cochlear implant process with her? And I was like, of course, because Americans love working on holidays. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, and so we sat down and I asked her more questions about New Zealand than she asked me about the CI. That's for sure. (laughs) And I went home and I was talking to my fiance. And I was like, you know what, this place just sounds right. Um, we talked about it the next morning, we were driving to his grandparents' house and decided in the 30 minute car ride that we were going to move to New Zealand. Oh my God. Yeah. So we walked in and we're like, Merry Christmas. We're moving to New Zealand. And they're like, what? You're doing what? Um, and yeah, so it started this whole new adventure. We spent an entire year getting married, getting our house sold, and then moved to New Zealand. There were, there were more jobs, more audiology jobs in New Zealand than there were in Kansas. I think there were like three audiology jobs at that time in Kansas. And there were like 27 in New Zealand. 
and New Zealand's the size of Colorado. So not that much bigger than Kansas. So, um, and that's mostly due to more government funding toward hearing aids and whatnot. So yeah, there's, there's a little bit more support there. So that's actually really interesting. So as a, a bit of a tangent here, um, with New Zealand, is it, was it sort of an apples to apples, um, uh, you know, you transition, like, is the whole nature of audiology very, very similar to how it's all done in the U.S.? I would say that in New Zealand, it's far more prescribed. So what I mean by that is everything is down to best practice on every single thing, like Mm. um, very tight protocols. So in the U.S., of course, I have my certificate of clinical competence from ASHA. I was able to use that to start working in New Zealand to become mm. a provisional member. They they only have a master's degree there, but I'm not going to lie to you. Their master's degree covers every bit as much as our AUD it's does. probably really intense. Which made me feel a little bit dumb, but that's all cool. <laughs> and so then in New Zealand, we um, so I had to pass another test to be fully certified there. So I have my CCC MNZAS now too, my member of the New Zealand Audiological Society. And it was hard. It was, it took me a full year to pass that test, even with my AUD. Um, the very, um, at the time I took it, there was a 7% pass rate for international um, wow. students. Yeah. So now you Not don't feel so Oh, no, it still felt pretty dumb, but I got past that because nothing worth doing is easy. Um, They actually had a practical exam and you had to get 100% of it. And it was basically a person sitting with you for eight hours, testing all kinds of things like you had to do VRA and um, condition play audiometry and an adult hearing aid fitting. And you had to do everything 100% correct or you didn't pass. And um, the very first time I did it, I got a 95%. And I failed. <laughs> wow. It was insane. Um, wow. But I retook it, passed. And, um, but it, it is, it is really tricky um, to get into the New Zealand Audiological Society, but I'm glad they have really, really high, really high standards. That's amazing. Um, wow. I never knew that. And such a fascinating example of just the disparity between different markets, because you know, I tend to talk on this podcast a lot about the U.S. market, but I'm sure you have a lot of really interesting insight into maybe different ways that it's being, everything's being done in these parts of the world that we could definitely be learning and applying here in the States. Well, one major thing that I think is really interesting um, from my experience working in New Zealand is it is a um, democratic socialized healthcare system. Mm. So what I mean by that is um, a lot of audiologists are private, like we work in a private in a pri- private industry. But in order for us to get government money, we have to meet really, really high standards. So it's not like we're all government employees, so they're not having to pay the bill just on that. They require us to give such high level service. And if we are not meeting their standard, boom, we are done. We are shut down. And so I told Cliff Olson, I was like, um, because he is the key proponent of best practice use in the U.S., I told him, I was like, you're not going to get anywhere in New Zealand because we are all doing best practices. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, so that was really interesting. 
That's fascinating. I mean, we've uh, a lot of the conversations I've had on the podcast recently have sort of been like, you know, where is the going to be the future of the of the hearing professional in the states? Um, you know, just with last week with the um, the new OTC executive order, it's like we've seen this before. Um, I think it's you know it's being urged, but it's in the zeitgeist right now. Of you know, hearing aids are expensive, and so I just think that there's going to be a sort of a, a pivotal moment here where it's going to be like, okay, so how do you justify your value? And best practices is a really good, a really good one because, you know, there are a lot of, of these other players in the market that are coming in that do not have the incentives to do best practices. So it's like, that's where 100%. you can really succeed. Well, I think it's really important for audiologists to realize that we are not salespeople. Right. When we start focusing on that widget, then we like we take our own value down. We are scientists yeah. and a scientist's brain is meant for more than sales. Yeah. And if we want to do more than dispense, be more than dispensers, we've got to do more than dispense. So um, I you know, I've got this bias that I believe that auditory processing is the future of our profession. And I, mean, I love it. All right. Perfect segue. <laughs> perfect segue. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, of course it was so natural because, you know, you're, you're a TEDx speaker now. So <laughs> that's really why I wanted to have you on was, um, you know, for the listeners, I want you to just kind of really give us a, a really interesting take on, you know, this, what you just went through with the whole TEDx talk, you know, how did this come to be? talk about auditory processing um, and just, you know, what this experience has been like and what your takeaways are. You're really fresh. I was really excited that we got to do this because you're like, it's, it's only been a week. So I want to just hear it, you know, from your mouth, like what went down with this whole thing. Awesome. Okay. So three years ago, I got this crazy idea in my head that I wanted to do a TED talk or a TEDx talk. And so I contacted um, a local or no, I contacted a licensee. So TEDx are independently organized. And then TED is like this unicorn, like Brene Brown and, um, mm -hmm. you know, Simon Steve Sinek. Jobs. Yeah. Simon Sinek. They get to do TED talks. And then mm -hmm. TEDx are these independently organized talks. So I contacted a TEDx group in Auckland, New Zealand. And I was like, Hey, I'd really like to talk to you about auditory processing disorder. And so they got on a phone call with me and we talked for an hour and they were like, we need you to speak on this. Everyone needs to know about this. And I completely agreed. So then we started this conversation and I was passing my script back and forth with them. And you only have 18 minutes to get across a fairly complex idea. Mm -hmm. And and I, I don't know if you've seen the way that I've looked at it, like different analogies, but it's kind of like packing a suitcase. And I'm not really one to get like much under 23 kilograms. Like I, <laughs> I like to hit, I like to do 23.9. Cause I know that that's, you know, the limit of what they'll have. So you have 18 minutes to describe this. And after 18 minutes, the screen actually goes red in front of you. And it says over time, like it's, it's freaky, no gongs play or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But, but to try to get across an interesting idea in that amount of time to remember what you have to say and to make sure that you can take the audience or the, the audience on a journey is a really difficult task. So I was working with this group they just kind of ghosted me. 
after a while because I was just trying to wedge everything into the suitcase. I wanted mm. to put more stuff in. I had, you know, old underwear and dirty boots and all <laughs> these things in there. And I didn't realize that, you know, really I should only be taking carry on luggage. So, um, so basically a month and a half ago, I was sitting down and I was doing some goal setting and I wrote down lifetime goal, TEDx or TED talk. You know, I would love to do one of those two things. And six hours later, I got an email from a different TEDx licensee with a nomination to speak. Wow. And I, it was, I don't know. I like, I lost it. I was like, oh my God, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Because yeah. like getting the opportunity to do a TEDx is that ability to present an idea or, you know, like, I feel like I've been on kind of a little bit of a one woman um, auditory processing awareness mission for a while, and you should never go into war alone. <laughs> so this was the best way for me to, you know, recruit people to say, this is a problem. And this is a problem that everyone in the world should be looking at. And what can we do to solve this? So, um, so the average TEDx or TED talk, um, the 18 minutes long usually gets on about 30 hours of work poured into it. So yeah. that's the reason those talks are so good yeah. is you have to pick every word carefully, but there's no cue cards and there's no teleprompter. And when was the last time as an adult, you had to memorize 18 minutes oh word God. for word? Holy it's well, I, I can just appreciate so much too of like, this is a culmination of, of what you had studied, what your passion was like. So it's compressing something that you feel so passionate about into an 18 minute time span is it is like taking a piece of marble and just carving it into something, you know, and it's like having to get rid of things that you feel like are really key to the narrative that you want to tell. And it's like, I can just imagine the process that you have to go through, like you said, to not only flesh out what are the actual key things that I need to communicate, but then be able to do so in a way where you have to, like you said, recite it, you know, you have to memorize it. It's incredible to me that, yes, I can imagine that it takes that much time, no doubt in my mind. And there are so many different ways to screw up a TEDx talk, like, <laughs> like messing up the words, forgetting a sentence, um, not having your tone right. Like the week before I gave it, um, the Sunday before, so two weeks ago, um, <laughs> I presented it to all of the coaches. And one of the coaches was like, I don't like, she goes, I can't watch your face. Your face is really distracting and off-putting. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh harsh, 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 yeah. harsh. Um, so, I mean, you get all this different feedback and you have to iterate your talk based on other people's feedback. You have to decide which feedback to take and which to give away. Mm -hmm. And, and it's just, it's a lot. Um, it is definitely one of the biggest, it, it's definitely one of the most stressful things I've ever done in my life. Um, but I, if I did it right, thousands of people are going to watch it and it could change some lives. I mean, this is so freaking cool and in, in, in every way. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, the, the broad strokes of the talk. I mean, as somebody that wasn't able to watch it live, I'm very curious of like when you did 
you don't have to, you know, recite it again. I'm not going to put you through like maybe that PTSD, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, no, I, but what I, are the broad strokes? Yeah. So the broad strokes are talking about, you know, what it feels like to be, um, to be, let me just put it this way. Anyone who's traveled to another country where they speak a different language knows how this feels. When you arrive, you are aware people are speaking to you, but maybe you can't understand what they say. And, but imagine having that feeling in your own language. I mean, that's isolating and frustrating and confusing. And truth be told, about 6% of the general population have this difficulty but it's wow. even higher, even higher rates in the most marginalized and vulnerable and historically underrepresented groups. Mm -hmm. So people um, with ADHD and autism and dyslexia and the prison population and people with more middle ear disorders. Um, so basically getting a general sense of this is how big the problem is. Now, how does auditory processing disorder compare to hearing loss? So we use, I use something called Erber's model, which is like four different steps of auditory skill development. And the very first step is called awareness. Are you aware of sound? If you're not aware of sound, you may have hearing loss, you may have auditory neuropathy, and we overcome issues of awareness with hearing aids and cochlear implants. The second level is called discrimination. Not only are you aware that sound is there, can you tell the difference between two sounds like b and d? Can you hear the difference between those? They're similar, but they're not the same. The third level is called identification. Not only do you know those two sounds exist, do you know that b is b and d is d? And then the fourth level, if we're looking at it like stairs, is called comprehension. That is our goal, understanding what someone has said. And so I think a lot of audiologists mm -hmm fix issues of awareness, you know, a person with hearing loss, mm -hmm. getting them hearing aids, and they think they automatically get to comprehension. And I think it's important for us to understand that the ear is the hardware and the brain is the software. Mm. And we need both of those together to have a great user experience. And I forgot Jeez. to say that last sentence on the day. And I'm so <laughs> pissed off about well, that. And that was like, that was your, that was your just like drop. That was my mic. clincher too. Yeah. I know. That's what really the good. heck the I got brain, off the stage. The I'm like, oh, I did it. And then I'm like, shoot. <laughs> and they said, we'll put it in as a slide. It's fine. There you go. Well, I, that's so interesting. I love that uh, the stare analogy as well, because I, I mean, I do a podcast that it you know covers some hearing health, and so I'm not like fully immersed in every element of it. But this is a really interesting one: is auditory processing. So help me to understand, like how I know this is probably a field of science that's been around for a while that you said you're, you've been like this big proponent of. But like how, what's the current state of it? It sounds like it's something that's maybe a little understudied, a little bit yeah. underutilized. What, 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 what are the opportunities, broadly speaking, for the hearing professionals to, you know, incorporate? Yeah, absolutely. So I first learned about auditory processing from one of the leaders, which is Jack Katz. He came to the University of Kansas and um, he's an amazing guy. He's 87 and still working clinically. Love it. Um, yeah, he's alleged. <laughs> um, so basically what we need to do is 
or if I can just speak in general, general mm -hmm. terms, auditory processing is what the brain does with what the ears hear. So what an auditory processing disorder is, it's where auditory skills negatively, like poor auditory skills negatively impact potential and well-being. So what we can do is we can mm. measure what those auditory skills are and whatever auditory skills we see in deficit, we can treat them. We can change the brain. And so what I, this is what I think the future of, of audiology looks like. And this is what I think the future of auditory processing looks like is we've got this data on different client profiles because there's a lot of what we call heterogeneity when it comes to APD, like lots of differences within this population. And then there are lots of different treatments. So what I'd like to do is I would like to use machine learning to take all of those different client profiles all of the outcomes they've had with the, the treatments, and then be able to positively predict the best treatment plan for each client based on new client data from that old, from that old group. So I, I think that we can use AI to help do better treatment planning. And I think the audiologist mm -hmm. will be able to guide that. That's um, fascinating. That is, right? This is oh, really interesting. I love this. It's going to be amazing. Okay, uh, hold on. We need to stick on this for a little longer. This is really interesting. <laughs> so, so when you say the planning piece, like what do you, what what exactly do you see the machine learning? What's the learning set? Is it it like individuals' behavior patterns, something like so that? So, what the machine learning should do is it should be able to say, all right, here are eight primary data points. All right, these are eight things that give us an idea of how much this client is struggling in yeah. this many different areas. All right, these are the treatments that they had, and these are the specific treatments that matched the problem they had the most. And so then if we can find, because different treatments help different people differently. So, <laughs> so okay, wait, so can you give me a couple examples of treatments? Absolutely. Okay. So we can do something like Acoustic Pioneer, um, mm -hmm. which is an app, um, has created a couple different fun games that people can play. While it's more focused for children, it's bright and fun like Angry Birds. As an adult, I don't mind playing it. Mm -hmm. So one of the games is called Zoo Caper Skyscraper, and it is a therapy that addresses binaural integration. So if a person, let's say that you're on your cell phone and you get a phone, another phone ringing and you put both of them to your ear, like how easy are you going to be able to hold conversations with both, both mm -hmm. ears individually? Mm -hmm. That's not a very realistic thing that's going to happen, but Zookeeper Skyscraper can <laughs> help auditory, um, auditory integration, like how our brain is bringing signals together across the corpus callosum amazing stuff. Cool. Um, there's, there's literally like there's Soundstorm and yeah, there's lots that I'm not involved with. And then I also do Buffalo model auditory training. So I do work in person and you can kind of think about it like circuit training for the ears, Okay. you know? And for me, every day is ear and brain day. <laughs> that statement got cut out of the TEDx. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Sorry. That one was, so, was that the same lady that told you that like, she's like, I don't uh, like your face. No, no. Other people told me that one. No, <laughs> there are lots, there are lots of people who are like, 
Yeah, that was awful. Yeah. (laughs) But honestly, I mean, you gotta, you gotta take some feed. Yeah. But anyway, so there's, there's literally hundreds of different things you can do. Gotcha. Okay. Auditory training. So I want to be able to actually have, I want to be able to put in eight pieces of client data and have it spit out exactly what different treatment plans look like based on different costs. Like, okay, I want to get the cheapest one possible or, mm-hmm. you know, or money isn't an object. Let's go the best. Yeah. I love that. I just, yeah, that's so cool. That's really, really cool. I mean, it's really interesting that we're talking about this because again, like I've, um, a lot of these conversations on the podcast recently have been very much around, you know, like where does the audiologist fit into the future? Like that's kind of been a macro question across like seven of the last 10 episodes. And I think that I would say that the overall consensus, especially from the audiology community is doubling down on audiology. And it seems like this is such another good example of, you know, going maybe a little bit more, like you said, scientific, a little bit more toward the brain, this yes. idea, you know, I yes, think that's the future brilliant. of the, of audiology is the brain for sure. I, like I do. I like that. I think that's really, so good. really neat. And cause I think you'll have, you know, you, you're going to have um, a portion of the market that will still probably be largely based around, um, you know, dispensing of technology to some degree, but I think that you're going to have another portion that's going to be call it medical or call it rehabilitate rehabilitative. Um, you know, I think that that's, there's going to be a ton of demand for that as it becomes something that's more widely available. And I think actually, this is a really interesting portion that I want to talk about with you as somebody that's based in Australia. What I find really interesting when I talk to people that are living down in like that part of the world is there's a very online sort of remote first mentality. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on like, of course, there's a role for the in-person element of this, but do you think that it will be possible to make a lot of this way more accessible and extensible through like using online tools, video conferencing, interacting with people online? I mean, absolutely. A hundred percent. Like I do all of my care remote. A hundred percent of my the clients wow. that I see are through Zoom, um, and and yeah, I think I would say even more than just the geographic location, I would just say that our whole mindset of where we can find help has mm-hmm. changed thanks to like the pandemic. I mean, if yeah. there's going to be any kind of silver lining, but yeah, the future of audiology is definitely in the brain. We've been doing things like when we first started working in hearing aids, they were complicated mm-hmm. and they, they required a scientist mm, to work that's with a them. Good point. And as time has gone on, it doesn't really need us anymore. And I was actually at the Audiology Australia conference this year and the keynote speaker said, audiology is blockbuster. And I was like, whoa, mm. that's a big call. And yeah. I messaged I messaged my husband and he goes, so is APD Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> hey, seriously though. I'm yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause like, I, I think that, um, that is, that might be a little hyperbolic to say that it's yeah. blockbuster. Yeah. However, I mean, you know, the, the revenue model, the dominant revenue model again in the U S is largely hearing aid sales. And so, I think the biggest wild card is technology, um, you know, with a lot of like, if it really could be largely self-administered and programmed, um, 
but what I keep coming back to is that doesn't really change the fact that there's demand for like the expertise, like the doctor. And so it's a matter of like, well, where does that time shift to? And I think that there's so many things like I, I would, I would say that like people that maybe have a glass half full mentality would look at this and say, this is really exciting that we get to now broaden our horizons. I completely agree. I mean, there are those of us who are excited about pivoting because maybe dispensing didn't bring us as much joy for as many years as we hoped it would. Um, I do think that we were meant to do more complex things and we can add value in so many different ways. Um, but then it's, you know, it's up to us to now create, figure out a way to make that value translate to profit and make that value translate to having a better quality of life for ourselves mm -hmm. and um, less cost of goods. Um, yeah, there's, I don't know. I'll just go ahead and say like I've owned dispensing practices and I've owned APD therapy and diagnostic practices. Owning a dispensing practice was the most, was the most stressful thing I've ever done. I would say it was even more yeah. stressful than the TEDx talk. Um, <laughs> it was hard. It was yeah. really, really hard. And there were times where the hearing aid manufacturer was making a whole lot more money than I was. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really hard and really frustrating. Um, but I do think that, yeah, I, I think that, let me just go back to that um, keynote speech. Um, the man said, you know, it's kind of like that frog in the hot water, mm -hmm. like, you know, it keeps getting warmer and warmer. And the more, the more you need to change, the harder it is. Yeah. Because like, and, and you can see a lot of people who are worried about that are, are in that frog in the water, like, shoot, I don't know what to do next. And we have been warned about this for a long time. Like there was somebody at the conference who stood up and was like, are other professions getting fear-mongered as much as audiologists like who is it that wants us to feel fear and why do they benefit <laughs> from that fear because someone wants us to feel that now is it people who are letting us know hey yeah you've got to pivot start looking now or is it does somebody else benefit from it mm -hmm. and I mean I think it is really tough especially in the U.S. because there can be some opportunities if I'm putting it really bluntly for a bit of corruption you know, there's other people who are speaking when we are the specialists, the professionals who should be able to like set the record straight. It's really tough. Yeah, no, I hear you. And um, I think, you know, so you say uh, that the future of audiology is APD. And so you have a, you've owned, I love this, that we're having this conversation because this falls in line with exactly all these conversations I've been having, which is like, okay, so an APD revenue model how does that, how would you, if you moved back to the States, you're back in Kansas, wherever, you know, and you're like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to own a practice. What does that look like? Is you, it, do you imagine that your day would be largely the zoom calls, you know, like it's a viable revenue model. Like, can you scale it? I mean, cause I think that what I'm coming to learn is that I think a lot of people are actually open to the idea of like how, what exactly are the ways that we can pivot in a way that's viable and, you know, it's not going to just be like, cause it will probably have to be somewhat slow so that you don't just completely cut the cord. But I think that even if it's like, you, you just aren't so dependent on hearing aids. Um, 
I've talked to a lot of people that, you know, like they did, uh, it was like physical for the vestibular system. Um, so I know like, you know, Richard Gans and like all everything that he does with dizzy.com. Like, I think that yeah. that's really interesting. Like that's an interesting route. And this APD, I think is a fascinating route too. And I'm sure there's going to be like, I know tinnitus is another one that you could really go all in on. I mean, again, the, the doctoral, you know, the kind of like scientific things seem to be like, it's, I think a matter of what, what does that model look like? I'm curious in your Absolutely. thoughts. Okay. So if I could say the happiest I've ever been was when I ran an APD clinic where it was just me and it was three days a week. So I had three awesome. clinics in three different locations. Um, they were really basic, um, very basic clinics. And I, in the morning I would do two evaluations and the afternoon I would do four therapy appointments um, three days a week. And I made more money than I had. Um, I had, let me be honest, like I had to pivot because I lost my job during the global financial crisis mm -hmm. and, but I lost my job, but I still wasn't allowed to fit hearing aids for six months. And I was just finishing my AUD. So I had my hands tied. I couldn't leave Lawrence and I had to like make <laughs> money somehow, mm -hmm. but it couldn't be with hearing aids. And I was like, you know, I love APD work. So let me try it. And it was absolutely the best, the happiest I, I have been in audiology. I felt like I kept per pursuing my passion. Okay. Wait, no, I'm more, I'm even more happy where I'm at right now, yeah. but clinically that was, That's that was cool, the though. best. And so do you think, I would, yeah. do you think that that was because of the fact that you didn't feel like you said earlier, like the whole salesman idea is like, is that a large part of it? Is just the, the, that whole mindset change. None of us got into this for sales. None of us did. We all wanted to see, you know, lives improved with what we could do. And I was always interested in the speech language therapy route. And this has, this is more that gray area and a lot of audiologists like the black and white. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I do enjoy the gray. Um, if I were to move back to Kansas and start a whole new clinic, yeah, I would have online services available. Um, and also I would not take insurance. <laughs> yeah. Like the three PAs, the third parties. Yeah. I, I wouldn't accept insurance at all. I would just go private. Mm -hmm. Um, and then see if there's a way that I can work with some kind of nonprofit, um, yeah. to provide some kind of services to people who can't afford it. Yeah. The, those, the third party insurance companies are, uh, they are the new favorite, uh, part of this industry, it feels like, and it just feels like that's coming to a head as well. And again, like it feels like, you know, whether it was the executive order and the language that was used and just the way that it disparaged, um, you know, the professional, it's like the professional is, it's been the scapegoat, but it's like the whole, the whole system is driven by them. And so it's like, you know, if, if this is how you're going to treat the professionals, then you're going to sort of reap what you sow. And it seems I, like that's just not the right direction that anybody yeah. should be wanting to go here. I am so interested to hear what happens with wax and OTCs because <laughs> <laughs> wax is a problem. Um, yeah. I, yeah I, I mean, like I, I completely understand what you're saying. There's so many people wanting to clip the ticket um, in the U S there's just so many people between the client and the audiologist. There's mm -hmm. like 
all of these middlemen that have somehow wedged their way in. And it's just, um, I'm really excited to see a shakeup occur. Mm-hmm. Because honestly, the audiologist has been losing out for a very long time. And I think there are ways in which we can get back to our roots, get back to rehab, get back to more complex ideas and solutions. Um, and like I said, you know, the, the ear is the hardware, the brain is the software, and there's yeah. a lot you can do in the software that we've been ignoring for a very long time. Well, and, and the thing too is like that then, that doesn't mean that it excludes hearing aids from being part of your business. On the contrary, I think that that actually means that it, it helps to justify why people would seek you out is it's the same person that's, you know, doing APD on me, which is the furthest thing that's removed from any of these other players, whether it's a big box retailer or, and that's not to disparage the big, big box retailers. Cause I think like Costco actually is pretty commendable with the way that they do it, but I'm just saying they're not going, they're literally not incentivized in the same way that a private practitioner could be. And so I think that like, that's, what's really exciting is that if the, if the field were to, I think, largely become more of this, like, you know, the, the science, the doctoral element of it, lean into that, it would actually, I think, draw a lot of people that would want to go to, I want the best possible thing for myself, right? Like, I think it is more aligned with the the perception that you want to begin with so that you're not competing against, you know, some online seller. It's like, that's yes, hearing aids, you can get them that way if you so choose, but I'm a literal doctor of this. So wouldn't you want to go to me if, if, or if not, then go, go right ahead. Yeah. And I think like, if we actually are honest within ourselves, we want as many people to have as good of hearing as they possibly can. And there are, there is a segment of the population that is not getting help from us, Mm -hmm. period. And they're not going to get help. So can we help those people? Yes. And the true audiologist's heart is not threatened by that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because again, if, if you look at it as like, it doesn't necessarily have to even be hearing aids either, you know, um, and this is just on the device side is, you know, when, when these OTC products or whatever it's going to be consumer audio devices that function like hearing aids, you know, that's fine. Like that's, again, that's not really where the, if the future isn't aligned with this, the revenue of that, that doesn't necessarily mean that that negates the revenue opportunities that might come from all of the, you know, the testing and the things that go after the hearing aid, the rehab. And it's like, it's not like this is something that you just sort of like fit. And then you kind of walk away from like, there's, follow-up that's needed. It's usually a progressive thing. So of course you want to check in, like there's not really any other scenario I can think of where it's just like, all right, I'm good. I'll never see you again. Like, I'm not going to do that with most of the medical professionals I see. Exactly. No, a hundred percent. And there's, there's a client that I actually have been working with recently. She's an audiologist and she has a cochlear implant on the right ear and a hearing aid on the left ear. And before we started working together, we did like a little bit of speech and quiet testing and the the cochlear implant ear right after implantation was at like 44% correct. Um, And then the left ear was at 64% correct. So let me just tell you, I just have to offload this because it's so interesting. We've done five sessions of auditory training with her to improve her ability to recognize speech sounds. And then I retested her and the right ear, the cochlear implant ear improved to 52%, which was an 8% improvement. And the left ear went from 
64% to 92%, like this 28% improvement. And I was all excited. I'm like, sweet, this is awesome. And she was like, wait, so if I would have had auditory training, would I have needed the cochlear implant? And I mean, she, like, when I look at her audiogram, like it's pretty much like 65s across the board, like there are things we could have done from a rehab side. And I'm not, I'm not anti-device, I'm not anti-cochlear implant, but I do think that we need to start looking at what are software solutions we can use. We need high-tech and low-tech solutions. Mm. And I think, I think the future of audiology is in the low-tech. I like that. You got to look for the solutions in the software. I mean, that's fascinating. So is this a common theme that you typically see? Are these rates of improvement where you see like... No, no that, that blew that's, my that's, mind. That's amazing. <laughs> that was insane. That was insane. And like, now I just need to figure out like that day, I, I just actually paced for hours, like trying to integrate that with what I already know. And you know, I do know that even short-term auditory training has a profound impact. And I think as audiologists, we think that a word recognition score is only going to get worse over time. And to actually watch speech in quiet improve is a really powerful moment. Um, so, so I'm looking at auditory processing in people with severe hearing loss and what is it that we can do to change that and I think like just considering that lets me realize that audiology has a really bright future. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, that's just a great way to kind of put a bow on this. Um, such an interesting conversation. You are really a rock star in this industry. It's uh, so great to, to have you on and, and get your full experience because I'm going to be one of the first to watch the, uh, the Ted talk when it goes live. When, when does it go live? You know, Ooh, they said two weeks, but you know, of course I've had to start Googling every question I have in my head. And, like <laughs> some people are like, Oh yeah, mine didn't get published for like six months. So, I mean, it'll be really interesting. Like the best thing that could potentially happen is it goes on to TEDx and then it gets promoted to Ted. That would be, Oh, that'd be amazing. That would but, be, like, that's the, my, my main goal is if an, I would love to have a speech language pathologist message me and say, I didn't believe in APD until I watched your TEDx. Like if, if I get that message, that's going to be a banner day. My <laughs> that's going to be that's, banner day. That's what, that's what we're all pulling for. Yeah. That's what I want. If you, if you get that, like put it on blast and just, you know, trap the mic. Yeah. That's awesome. So what's next for you? Are you going to do, okay. um, are you going to write a book? You gotta, what's, yeah, I mean, what comes after the TED talk. So Jack and I have been, Jack Katz and I have been working on something for years. Um, but I, th I think that needs to come to fruition. I'd love to write a book for the client. Um, I'm just still teaching my courses. That's going amazingly well. We've got this really cool tribe of humans um, doing that. I want to, I want to help keep promoting the different treatment options available. And I want to do that in a really independent way. If people are doing good things, I want to promote that. So, uh, we need lots of different solutions to this complex problem. So, um, being able to maintain an independent look at things, but also, uh, drive, drive the artificial intelligence will be exactly where I want to be. I was just having to mute myself because my dog just came in with that, like the loudest squeaky toy of all time. <laughs> my dog was barking out there. So I had to put the, 
shock collar on because he will <laughs> literally bark until I feed him in six hours. <laughs> but now anyway. I'm hungry. I want yeah. to know. Um, well, no, that's so cool. I, um, I, I love this whole idea of the, the low tech, you know, focusing on that and just everything that you said today, I think really resonates. And, um, you know, it's just really, really cool to see, uh, like I said, I can only imagine how much time and effort went into that. I think that's so cool that you just did it and, you know, what a cool achievement that is. So thank you so much for coming on here and sharing this with everybody. This has been so much fun. It's my pleasure. And I hope that I, I just really hope that I don't dis any, disappoint anyone with that TEDx. Like, it's so funny. Like, I was so excited afterward. I was like, I didn't screw it up that much. Like, I didn't, like, my face was better. And then, but, but then, like, the other day I woke up and I'm like, ah, but what if I disappointed someone? Anyway, so, but thanks a lot for having me on to, you know, just kind of debrief a little bit, get over that PTSD and yeah <laughs> no on. it's been so cool this has been great so after the next time when you're on ted when you're like you know following who malcolm <gasps> gladwell or whoever that's gonna be <laughs> when i'm on oprah's super soul conversations <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah, awesome. awesome well thank you so much for coming on thanks for everybody who tuned in here to the end and we will chat with you next time thanks dave Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.